Entering the Week 13 playoff rankings, I had two big questions. Number one, can Georgia hop Clemson to go to number three? Number two, where is Oklahoma ranked after the Baylor win? Because if Georgia does hop Clemson to number three, are they building themselves a little bit of a cushion, enough cushion, if they keep it close versus LSU in the SEC championship game, with that cushion, could they maybe sneak in as a two-loss non-conference champion? And then number two, can Oklahoma and the Big 12 get ahead of either or both of the Pac-12 teams? Can they get ahead of either Utah and or Oregon? Those are my questions going into Tuesday night. And on Tuesday night, the committee provided some answers. Oklahoma number nine, sandwiched between Penn State and Minnesota. That shocked me. I had Oklahoma at eight above both Penn State and Minnesota. Georgia stays at four behind Clemson. Georgia gets that road win over what was the committee's number 12 ranked team in Auburn, but they stay behind Clemson after Clemson throttles Wake Forest. So we did get some answers on Tuesday night. Andrew Doughty back on the High Motor Podcast. And on this midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast, Ryan Burns, 24-7 Sports, Minnesota writer for 24-7 Sports, getting his reactions to the playoff rankings, talking some gophers after that Iowa, Iowa loss, and looking forward, and then Chase Kitty, per usual, with your Week 13 betting preview. We're going to touch on that uh, Indiana-Michigan game that we mentioned on Sunday's episode. We're projecting what that line might be. It's settled at about 8, 8.5, so we're going to talk about that, get Chase's recommendations. Then Penn State. Penn State is a huge road dog against Ohio State. Top 10 team being that big of an underdog. Is there any value there? Break down those lines and many others. Ryan Burns and Chase Kitty coming up on the High Motor Podcast. Ryan Burns of 24-7 Sports, podcaster for Gopher Radio. And Ryan, the playoff rankings just dropped, um, what, a half hour ago here. Were you surprised that that not only Penn State is ahead of Minnesota a week and a half after losing to them, but they're ahead of them by two spots? Was that a surprise to you? Uh, not necessarily. I think that when you look at Minnesota's resume, they do have the big win over said Penn State and the number four team in the country at the time. But you also look at Penn State's schedule and they've got wins over Iowa, Michigan. They've also got a seven and three pit team on there. So I think if Minnesota can take care of business the next two weeks, plus if Penn State loses to Ohio State, which I would imagine they're projected to do here this weekend, that things will take care of itself. But I also think there is a little bit of the name brand recognition with this college football playoff rankings with uh, Oregon and Utah getting some interesting love when considering they don't really have a, a marquee win between the two of them, especially compared to what, what Minnesota has. But with just a few weeks left, and if Minnesota can take care of business the next two weeks, I think uh, it'll be an awfully interesting discussion before the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, and as a lot of other people have said, too, what you just said, ultimately it doesn't really matter that much because uh, I mean, I think that, that Penn State and Minnesota, uh, both of them are still in as 12-1 and Big Ten champs, but 12-1 but and Big Ten champ, champs for Minnesota specifically means beating a bad Northwestern team this weekend, but more so beating Wisconsin at home in Week 14 and then presumably Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. So, uh, first of all, do you agree that Minnesota is still in at 12-1, and that they control their own destiny there? And then second, do you even give the Gophers that great of a chance of ripping off three straight uh, to make that happen? <laughs> well, I'll say this. I, I fully expect them to win this weekend, and Evanston Northwestern is absolutely diseased offensively, and they've been that way essentially throughout Big Ten play. And then it comes down to what I think is the biggest game in TCF Bank Stadium history. Now, that Penn State game held that regard for three weeks, but 
for what's going to be on the line, which is a trip to the Big Ten West title game, the X, an opportunity to go to Indianapolis. And I also think there's a, a pretty decent chance that college game day will be on campus that Saturday as well. If you're able to take care of business at home there and get that huge emotional win, who's to say what will happen against Ohio State? Now, for my money, I think Ohio State is the best team in the country if they have Chase Young out there eligible and playing. So I've seen crazier things. This is why they play the games. But, you know, I would say it's 80-20 they win this weekend against Northwestern. I think it's 55-45 or 60-40 they can beat Wisconsin at home especially because Wisconsin has shown they are a much different team on the road than they are at home. And then, you know what, that's why they play the games in Indianapolis. But even still, if they do somehow reel off those wins, especially that Ohio State win, I don't know how you don't put Minnesota into the playoff over uh, whoever the Pac-12 champion is. I think you put them in over Oklahoma as well. But, I, you know, I'll tell you this much. It's, an, it's a discussion I'd love to be having three weeks from now. And now suddenly kind of moving back to that Northwestern game, very suddenly after having probably the best quarterback play that this program has seen in years, maybe ever, suddenly with Tanner Morgan exiting for those final two plays against Iowa, Cole Kramer comes in over Jacob Clark, both the freshmen. You know, What's your feeling for Minnesota? Is it Kramer? I know that Minnesota released a depth chart. Is there Monday or Tuesday, and Tanner Morgan was still on the top of it. But with concussion protocol, we have no clue how that's going unless you have some other information to give us there. You know, what's your feeling for Northwestern? Did did PJ tip his hand there with the first uh the final two plays and it's Kramer? Uh and regardless of who goes, if it's not Tanner Morgan, should there be any concern offensively about this game, or do they just have enough uh talent at wide receiver, enough talent whether or not they bring Seth Green in and just run that the Wildcat fifty times? Any concern about this game regardless of who's under center? I mean, you are going to play the Big Ten West reigning champs at their place. But that being said, this is such a much different team than what Northwestern has fielded the last few years. So the latest with Tanner Morgan is Fleck did confirm with us in the media today that he is in the concussion protocol. Now, that's all he would say. He wouldn't say if he is early in it, if he's halfway through, if he's near the end, you're not going to get that from P.J. Fleck. If his injury reports have been any indication of what of what uh, to expect is you're not going to know until about 45 minutes before the game. So I, I am from what I've heard anyway, I'm not too concerned about Tanner Morgan's concussion. Now that being said, not being too concerned about a brain injury or considering it is something to where <laughs> I know some folks thought that PJ just told him to go down to get the timeout. And, and the flick had some, uh, some good quotes for that today where he said, a lot of people are, telling me faking an injury and having a guy go down that's what I was doing that's ridiculous I want my starting quarterback to go down so he has to come out of the game so I put in a true freshman that doesn't make any sense and I agree with him why in that why in the world would you have your starting quarterback who has played so well the entire season so well in these late game situations how would you tell him to go down to save time to put in a true freshman who has not played any meaningful snaps yet doesn't make any sense to me so then it becomes the question is it Jacob Clark or is it Cole Kramer? Now, <laughs> Fleck isn't going to uh, to say anything before the game. We did ask him the question today. He kind of deferred it to what we'll see who had the better week of practice. Neither has really separated themselves. And he goes, if Tanner can't go, hell, you might even see both. Which, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case either. But I would imagine 
if Tanner cannot go, which they're not going to know until Friday night, Saturday, that I think Jacob Clark would maybe potentially get that first run. And then I don't think the, the offense necessarily changes too much uh, because Minnesota is already a run-heavy team, especially in what they're projected to be uh, two touchdown favorites at Ryan Field this weekend. You're going to see a lot of Rodney Smith, Shannon Brooks, Mo Ibrahim, but you still have Roddy Smith, or excuse me, Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman on the outside. And those guys are going to be in one-on-one opportunities if Northwestern sells out to stop the run. So I, I would almost be surprised if Tanner wasn't ready to go for this weekend, but if he's not, it's going to be interesting to see which true freshman has the better week of practice. So if Tanner Morgan is not ready to go, how much how much do you think, if at all, the the, the four-game redshirt rule applies here? I mean, if, for example, if Cole Kramer came in for those two Iowa plays, suddenly his redshirt is just gone after not playing, if unless I'm wrong here, a snap earlier in the season. So if this rule was not in place, do you think that Fleck would handle the situation differently? And might we see maybe both quarterbacks play on Saturday if Tanner Morgan is available because he's not worried about the redshirt at all? Oh, almost certainly. And that's why I think this new redshirt rule that was put into effect here in the last few years is huge to where you can, I mean, that's why you've even seen select be very careful with when he did insert his quarterbacks. Once he knew that Zach Annick said likely wasn't going to be able to be available for the, essentially the entire regular season, you have to start to figure out, well, I can't, you know, I want to get my two backup quarterbacks reps, but in that same respect, if something happens to Tanner, I want to be able to put the red shirt on them. And that's where it's worth noting that Jacob Clark has only appeared in one game while Cole Kramer now, after coming in against Iowa, has appeared in three. And so you have a guaranteed three games remaining, and many Gopher fans would be hoping four. So do you want to give Jacob Clark the start here, put him at two? And so if Tanner something you know goes wrong and you know he has a setback in the protocol, you can make that decision for Wisconsin. But Certainly, if this was 2011 and Cole Kramer was the one that came in last week against Iowa, I would absolutely say, without a doubt in my mind, that Cole Kramer is going to be the starter against Northwestern if Tanner can't go. But because of this new redshirt rule, that's where these coaching staffs can play mind games with their opponents, and I'm sure that they'd like to use that to their benefit. PJ taking a lot of heat this week after the um, whatever the penalty was and sportsmanlike conduct, whatever the actual name of it was against him in that Iowa game after the Tyler Johnson hit. I mean, I've seen you correct people on Twitter. I don't understand why people don't understand that they wouldn't have gotten the ball back. It was Iowa ball regardless. But that aside, what is your take on, on PJ running onto the field there? I mean, he said he would do it again because he saw Johnson laying there. Are you okay with it, or do you think he kind of overdid it there? And, and even though he only cost his team, what, 10 or 12 yards, do you think it was out of line in that case? No, just because he's done that all season. And, you know, for that specific instance, you'd like to see, for watching it back as many times as I have, Tyler was motionless there for a second, but he was getting up. He certainly maybe was, I'm not say woozy, but more so dejected that he just dropped what could have been a game-tying touchdown a sure first down, and now he cost him, uh, his entire team a minimum of three points. And he did get late hit, and that's where I think that the refereeing crew would even tell you post-play post, uh, you know, post play that they called the wrong flag. There was certainly a flag, and I believe they called, um, I think it was unsportsmanlike conduct on a dead ball, when in reality I think it should have been a live ball, unnecessary roughness, which would have given Minnesota the first down. But that wasn't the case. and. 
all minute, all PJ Fleck did running out onto the field there was cost his team, I believe, 11 yards of field position for Iowa. Now, it's something to where there's a fine line that PJ has to walk. Now, if Tyler would have been laying there motionless and it was clear that he was way out of it, I have absolutely no problem with it. I just, in that instance, with what the game situation was and knowing that you saw the late hit and that could have been an unnecessary roughness that would have given Minnesota the first down and a fresh set of downs. And you running onto the field there could have canceled it out and there could have been a replay of fourth down, which really would have hurt the team. So Fleck's not going to change. He's talked about that numerous times since Saturday where he's chastised if he doesn't go out and he's chastised if he does. And he continues to go out for each and every one of his players. Now I'd like to see him wait a couple more seconds to really make sure that especially in that game situation that your player down in the field is really, really needing of attention but we'll see how he handles it here in the final few games. Being around that program, how does, I know that Tyler Johnson, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said that, you know, Fleck loves us and I'm glad that he came out and checked on me. Something to that effect that Tyler Johnson really appreciated him coming out. I know that players in the past have said they appreciate him running out of the field when they've been injured. So I want to ask you this very carefully. I'm not at all suggesting that, that PJ is not being genuine with his care for his players. I think he's made that extremely clear that he does care deeply for his players, but I also want to know, how does that play in the locker room? And from recruits that you've talked to, how does that play when he's sitting in the living room, when those players, the recruits and current players, know that their coach is going to run onto the field and look out for them no matter what? Does that question make sense? It does, and they would tell you it means a lot to them. They don't want, I mean, if something were to happen to them, they want to make sure that you know, if they open their eyes after getting knocked out for a few seconds, that the first face that they see is their head coach. And not when they get up and get to the sidelines that their coach is still standing on the sidelines with his headset on, with his arms crossed to say, Hey, you okay? And they want to know that, you know, this culture that this road of culture that PJ talks about all the time. And it's one thing where, whether it's the players, whether it's the, uh, the recruits, whether it's the coaching staff, they'll tell you they like to call themselves a family. Well, the family um, is an acronym, an acronym for forget about me. I love you. Now, it's great in theory, it's great with words, but you have to go out and enact that or else that culture and that saying doesn't mean anything. And that's where Tyler, like you said, he said after the game, my coach does it all the time. I appreciate that he did it for me. And they just want to know that their head coach has their back. And I think that Fleck has shown in these specific injury situations that most certainly he's going to make sure he's going to take care of them. Hey, Ryan, last thing for you here, looking beyond this season, um, at least from my perspective, and I don't think anybody could have seen this coming, I think we could have seen maybe an 8-0 start, but I was not expecting this talented of a team this quickly under P.J. Fleck if we look back uh, last year, even three years ago. So has this year at all distorted expectations for this program, or should we now consider Minnesota to be an annual Big Ten uh, contender, you know, depending on who comes and goes? I mean, college football ebbs and flows so much with departures, but should we just consider Minnesota to be in that Big Ten uh, contention discussion every single season and right on the edge of that playoff conversation? Or is this kind of too early, and is P.J. going to be a victim of his own success? <laughs> That's a great question. That it's, it's really tough to say because you're dealing with 18- to 22-year in, individuals. You can't. You know, there's no free agency. And the way that, as you mentioned, college football ebbs and flows, I mean, I thought that Minnesota had a great shot to compete in the West, and it looks like 
It's going to be coming down to that final game for them at home to have the opportunity to clinch, which they would tell you they wouldn't want any other way. Now, I'll say this. I don't think uh, folks should be expecting college football playoff contention each and every year here going forward. And we're talking about a program that hasn't won the Big Ten in 50-something years. They haven't, um, you know, if they win this weekend against Northwestern, that's their first 10-win regular season since 1905, 114 years. So while this season has surpassed any expectations I think anyone set for them, I think that realistic expectations for them would be certainly to compete in the Big Ten West going forward. I think they have elevated themselves into that tier with the Iowas and the Wisconsins of the world. And that's exactly where you want to be, competing against your two biggest rivals for a shot to go to Indianapolis and a shot potentially to get to the Rose Bowl, which I think is very attainable if Minnesota just wins their final two games. So while I don't think college football playoff contention uh, should be something on an annual basis, I think if you have spike years like Minnesota's having this year, and you can put yourself certainly into that conversation if you are able to take care of business here down the line, it's certainly something to get excited about. But maybe in 2022, we're having a much different discussion. But certainly for the foreseeable future, Big Ten West contention, for me and the way I look at this roster, it certainly looks like it's here to stay. But I would love to be wrong, but I don't know that college football playoff contention each and every year is something that folks should bank on. All right, that's Ryan Burns, 24-7 Sports, on Twitter, at Ryan Burns MN. Hey, Ryan, thanks a lot for the time this week. I really much appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Chase Kitty back on the High Motor Podcast to talk Week 13 college football lines. And we're going to start in Columbus, where Penn State is an 18-point underdog versus Ohio State in Columbus. Money line right now, Ohio State minus 1,000, Penn State plus 650. Total on that game, 56 and a half. And Chase... I think the general impression on this game, whether or not you are a betting expert like yourself or a novice like myself or somewhere in the middle, or if you don't even bet at all, is we get it to Ohio State, but Penn State is still a top 10 team, yet they're an 18-point underdog. Is that an enticing enough number to take Penn State in this game? Uh, It's not, and I'll tell you why. It's because I I was reading earlier today or Monday, I can't remember when, and I can't even remember who wrote it. It might've been Tom Fornelli uh, from CBS, but I was reading an article about the history of top 10 teams who are nonetheless, despite their ranking, catching massive amounts of points. And the history does not favor the underdog. So it was a compelling enough case for me. And if I find it, I'll post it on Twitter and I'll, I'll like tweet at this podcast link. Uh, when you put it out, it's a pretty compelling case that Ohio State should be favored by this amount and you should bet them if you want to bet this game that when you have a top 10 team and they're a huge underdog, uh, they don't typically cover. This is something that we almost never talk about. We'll get to rapid fire here in a second, though. When a game is like that, do you ever, you talked a few times on the podcast earlier this season about doing the money line parlay, kind of uh, what the industry looks at. Some sharps don't like doing that. Uh, they prefer to to get more money for your parlay. But in the case of like Ohio State at minus 1,000, do you ever just take one team like that? I do it all the time in basketball, yeah. I actually, uh, last season, I opened an account with my bookie. Um, or maybe I already had the account, but I, I hadn't really used it in a couple months. And I put like $500 in. And just maybe five times a week, I picked one game. I bet everything on that one game, 
and I sort of incrementally like built my balance up to, I think I got to $4,500. And then there was a Drexel College of Charleston game last year that uh, I, I can't believe. Like I'm, I'm still mad <laughs> about this a year later. Uh, but the College of Charleston lost by like one point on like four free throws in the last two seconds of the game. Something. So you would roll it over and let it ride. So you start with yeah, 500 and you would take, again, yeah, again. you would take like Arizona against Oregon State or whatever. And then the next night you would take Michigan State against whoever. And then Evansville. you would just let it ride to, to 4,500. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you lost it on Drexel And Charleston. then I lost it on Drexel College of Charleston. Yeah. It wasn't the, what was it, two years ago that Drexel came back by like, 29 points or something like that in the state. It wasn't that game, was it? No, this was last year. Uh, and it was not that game. And that's why people tell you it like overall in gambling, not even just in sports gambling, but in gambling in general, like get out of the casino because eventually that's going to happen to you. It's not always going to be Drexel College of Charleston, but you know, it eventually you just need to go, Oh, I started with 500. I have 4,000. I need to leave right now. This is a huge profit margin. Uh, and just be smart enough to know when to leave. For me, it was more of a thought experiment. Uh, so I didn't really mind losing the money because what I What was made... your number there? Were you going after, said like, if I get 10 grand in this account, I'm taking it out? Um, I didn't really have one, which is not very smart. But like I said, this it wasn't a primary account. Like it wasn't my main Bovada account that I bet in all the time. It wasn't my five dimes account. Like it was just sort of a thing I was doing on the side. And I took the 500 that I deposited out of a Bovada check. Like I cashed the check and then immediately took some of that money and, and decided I would play with it. So I almost sort of decided that it was money that I had already spent anyway. Uh, so I didn't totally mind losing it, but it still does suck when you have the, the, you have four grand in an account and you just it just goes away on free throws late. you know. But that's that's the game. That's what we're doing here. Let's do rapid fire. I want to start with a game that we brought up uh, on Sunday during your wrong, in which I said Indiana is going to beat Michigan in Bloomington uh, this weekend. You said I was wrong. Just really quickly, history there. If I have the numbers correctly, Indiana is 1-38 in their last 39 games against Michigan, going back to the late 60s. You had guessed that that line would be something to entice betters around 6.5 or 7 Michigan. It's actually right now, and we're talking here on Tuesday, Michigan an 8.5-point favorite on the road. The total on that game, 53. Is that too high for you to be interested in taking Michigan, even though you do think Michigan wins this game? Um, Yeah, this is, this is a stay away from me because... It's it is just a little bit higher. I think I said somewhere between six and a half and seven and a half, and then it's right on the other side of that at eight and a half. Eight and a half is is kind of a dead number when you talk about gambling, uh, more so in the pros, but even in college, there's just not a lot of games decided by eight or nine points. Uh, so it is a little bit of a dead number, but at the same time. I just don't want to bet this game. It reminds me of a couple weeks ago when we talked about Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, and I said, I can make a really good case for why you should bet both of these sides, right? Indiana has been consistently undervalued this year. I was on them last week, plus 14 and a half at Penn State. They covered. Uh, so now they're coming back after a cover. It's a much smaller number. It's still over a touchdown, and they're a home dog. So there are certain boxes that a lot of sharps are going to see that they like. I expect the sharps, you know, at least some of them, to be on Indiana here. But Michigan, as I pointed out in the last podcast, Michigan has been on a really good run since that Penn State game. I don't 
want to bet against them because they've been so good. So I can make the case both ways. I'm going to stay away. Let's go to the SEC and looking at this list we have here, I think it's the only SEC game. Uh, it is SEC Cupcake Week, and I want to ask you about that at the end very quickly. But Texas A&M going to Athens at Georgia. Georgia is nearly a two-touchdown favorite, 13.5. The total on that game in the mid-40s right now, again, we're talking here on Tuesday, total on that game, 45.5. I know that you always say that Texas A&M is overvalued on the pod, and you've told that to me uh, in private. What are you liking about Texas A&M at Georgia if you're, not, if you're liking anything at all? First of all, this is a pros versus Joes game. Uh, the pros are on Georgia minus the points. The public is on Texas A&M catching two touchdowns. This opened actually at 14.5. It has been bet down to 13.5. Uh, but the pros are coming in on Georgia now that they're under that key number. They're at 14 and I'm on Georgia as well. I was actually surprised. I was looking up uh, some ATS records before we got on here and started recording this, and I was surprised to see that Texas A&M at six and four is actually has a pretty decent record against the number this year. But I think overall they've been way overvalued, and they've sort of beefed up their record playing against uh, non-SEC teams, and then the bottom of the SEC. You know, Ton of Big Twelve. Are you done? Sorry. I no, I just. I, I just think they're overvalued. I, I think you should be on Georgia here. I don't trust Texas A&M. You know, somebody had a comment that like, oh, they're going to be in the back half of the top 25 for the college football playoff rankings for some reason that none of us can really explain. And that's kind of how I feel about the Aggies this year. They're just, you know, they're overvalued. Three Big 12 games I want to ask you about. The first one, Oklahoma coming off of that 25-point comeback against Baylor. They go back home in Norman uh, against TCU. And Oklahoma in this, in this game, 18.5-point favored. The total on that game, I thought it might be close to 70. We didn't get all the way there, 65. I really like Oklahoma in this spot. Uh, all of a sudden, they're back in the driver's seat in the Big 12. They've got a ton to play for. Sort of a crooked number here. Uh, you're basically, you need Oklahoma to win by three touchdowns in that 20 to 21 range or higher. Uh, TCU, I think, has been overvalued in spots. I've talked about that before this season. I think this is one of those spots where maybe they should be a little bit closer to 21 or 24 point underdog. But they just got the win in Lubbock last week. Uh, they didn't cover. Uh, because that game closed around minus three for TCU as a road favorite. But they do get the win. Now they're going to go to Norman. And I just think the Sooners are going to roll here. I, I think TCU could play tough defense for the first half, but I think their offense is going to inevitably let them down, and that's going to have an effect on the defense, and it's just all going to sort of roll together in the second half. I think if you want to bet TCU here, a first-half bet could have some appeal, but I think for the whole game, I think Oklahoma's going to cover this. The other side of that Baylor-Oklahoma game, Baylor stays at home and they get two Texas who dropped the game at Iowa State thanks to the, the field goal offsides debacle. So Texas at Baylor. Baylor is a 5.5-point favorite, and the total in this game is 60. Is that Baylor number interesting to you? Uh, it is. I would lean toward Baylor here just because I think they're the better team. Uh, did you see that Tom Herman quote? The one where they said that them and Baylor have had the same exact seasons? Yeah, he said, you know, their season has been eerily similar to ours, except for they've been able to win those close ones. They've been able to make plays on both sides of the ball when it matters to get wins. Honestly, so, you could take away the teams and the coach, and you just gave me the, the foundation of that quote. If you gave me, like, three coaches to guess who said it, I think Tom Herman would be number one because it just feels so much like Tom Herman, and I can't stand Tom Herman, and it feels like something that he would say. 
I saw somebody on Twitter retweet that saying, I am very similar to Beyonce, except that she is rich and famous and talented, and I'm currently eating leftover Halloween candy. That kind of sums up my quote, my thoughts on that quote. Uh, I would lean Baylor. I think the Tom Herman underdog numbers are, are real. You know, he got another cover last week as an underdog at Iowa State. Uh, I was on Iowa State. We lost that one. I do think Baylor's the better team, so I would back Baylor here, but this is more of a lean than an outright pick. Uh, I would find other spots on the board that I would feel more strongly about. The last Big 12 one, and I know you could talk about this one for 45 minutes, but let's see if we can't keep you to a minute or two here. Oklahoma State, 7.5-point favorite on the road against West Virginia, and West Virginia is coming off of that win in Manhattan against Kansas State that I think shocked everybody. Now the quarterback situation is a little bit better. The buzz in Morgantown, as you said, is a little bit different, even though they're still pretty optimistic going into that game with Neil Brown. Um, I think they're, they're kind of pushing this patient, patience issue that you have mentioned before, too. So anyways, West Virginia at home, Oklahoma State 7.5-point favorite. The total is 60. Is that number too high? Are you interested in West Virginia? Uh, it is a, it is an awe, a weird number. It's a little high. Uh, I was on our friend Phillips podcast last week, the ten twelve podcast that, that uh, talks Big Twelve every week, and I was the I picked West Virginia plus the fourteen. I didn't think they would win outright, but I picked West Virginia against the spread. And it's not because I'm a West Virginia guy. It's because I saw a bunch of pros picking it, and I had no idea why you would ever pick West Virginia in that spot. It made zero sense to me. So I thought it must be a good bet. Uh, I said it on the podcast. They said I was crazy. So I'm taking a little bit of a victory lap here and also uh, giving them a quick shout out because it was a good podcast and I you know, I hope they pick up some listeners. Uh, this is a tough spot to come back and bet West Virginia on. There is full seven-point underdog at home in Morgantown, seven and a half at some books. So if you're going to bet it, first of all, and you want to bet West Virginia, go find a book that has seven plus the hook. But I would be careful for a couple of reasons. Number one... Uh, Jared Daigie going against Kansas State versus going against Oklahoma State. He's going to have to score more than 24 points, I'm guessing, to beat Oklahoma State. So that's number one. Number two, this is just not a great betting spot. I think I was surprised to see that a majority of the public is actually on West Virginia here. I don't love public underdogs. I don't like West Virginia in this spot. I think they could win. I think they could lose but cover. I think they could lose by 40. It, it just anything could happen. I don't have a good feel for it. But I did think the number was interesting. I just thought it was an interesting case of how to handicap a game in terms of where books were going to set the number for because this isn't a team that has nothing to play for and is just playing a new quarterback to see what they have. This is a team that's still trying to get bowl eligible. They technically have a shot. And they're going to a quarterback who arguably is the best guy on the roster. So it's just a really odd game to talk about. Bull eligibility. So the next game here, Illinois already got that with that Michigan State win. And I was I had this game on the list, and then I took it off. You said I should put it back on because there are a few interesting points here. Illinois at Iowa. Iowa 15-point favorite at home after beating Minnesota last week. And the total on that game, 46.5. And I think we both agree this could be a very, very ugly game, low-scoring game. What do you like about this one? Or what do you not like about this one that you want to mention? Yeah, this I, I really love this game. And it sounds like a really terrible game to watch, but it could be an awesome game to bet. First of all, you know I was going to be overvalued coming off of the win against Minnesota. And, and, you know, we can't absolutely eliminate Minnesota from the playoff, but this is definitely a bump in the road and sort of takes away their margin for error if they had one at all. 
Uh, I think it's probably going to come down to the Ohio State thing. We've talked about that. We don't have to rehash that. But Iowa now overvalued. So they open at 12, right? You you have to – overvalued is not the right word. If you want to bet Iowa this week, you are buying a high on the stock. Last week you were buying low. Now you have to buy high to sort of go back to that finance metaphor we always use. You have to buy high. Iowa opens at minus 12. It's already been bet up to minus 15. So normally I would say in a game like this, maybe Illinois is the overvalued party because Illinois has sort of become this trendy pick. And if you're betting them now, you're late to the party. But Iowa somehow is still the overvalued party because they've already been bet up minus 12 on the heels of a big win. Now they're minus 15, and they're going against Illinois in a low-scoring game, but they have to lay 15. Illinois is the right side to be on here. Let's close rapid fire here with two G5 games. First in the Mountain West, Boise State, 7.5-point favorite at Utah State. The total in this game, 53.5. And if you had asked me before the season started... What would I have guessed this line would be 13 weeks later? I would have been shocked if you told me Boise State was that big of a favorite. I thought it would be lower, maybe even Utah State by a point or two. But anyways, Boise State, 7.5-point favorite at Utah State. Total on that game, 53. What do you like about this? Well, that was a great lead-in because a lot of people feel the same way as you. Uh, a lot of people feel like this is too big of a number for Boise State, going on the road, playing against a quality conference opponent. The public is on Utah State here plus the points, the pros are on the road favorite. And anytime I see something like that, I think, okay, I know what side I need to be on. If you're going to bet this game, you should probably be on Boise State. In the last G5 game, UCF, a near touchdown favorite, six-point favorite at Tulane. The total on that game, I think it's the highest we've discussed, but I have to go back and look. The total on it, 70 points. Is that total too high for you? Uh, Yeah, 70. That I really don't know what kind of performance I'm going to get out of either one of these teams. Uh, so I really don't want to touch the total. But I do think the spread is interesting. Uh, Tulane, obviously, coming off of a loss at Temple. Uh, If you read my column last week, edge sorting, we were on Temple. So that was a nice win for us. Now they get to come back home. They get to play UCF. And I think Tulane is now the side to be on here. Uh, Part of it is just sort of the bounce back theory thing. But part of it, if you look at... uh, If you look at the spread records for each of these teams this year, Central Florida unsurprisingly under 500 against the spread because of what's happened with their program the last couple years. Everybody jumps on UCF. And then this year, it's not like they're bad, but they're overvalued because there's, you know, there's a big hype train behind them. So UCF actually four and six against the spread coming into this game versus Tulane, who's seven and three and has a really good record against the spread coming off of losses uh, dating back several seasons. Tulane probably decide to be on here as a home underdog after losing to a home underdog outright last week. I don't want to talk about Cupcake Week that much, but I do want to ask you about it. And it, it, this the whole Cupcake Week thing gets just beaten to death. It's so overrated with the hate against it because every single conference has it. It's just spread out. So anyways, I'm not going to talk about Cupcake Week that much here, but I want to ask you if there's any value to some of these teams playing just garbage opponents this week. So from a handicapping perspective, you know that Vegas has to entice people to actually take the FCS side, the cupcake side, uh, just because everybody's going to pile on all the SEC teams this week. So with that in mind, I was looking for just outrageous spreads, you know, and I found a couple of them. Yeah, give me the Alabama one. You asked me before the show. I think you said what? What do you? What would you have guessed? The Alabama they're playing Western Carolina, right? Correct. 
I think you said if you had to guess what that opened at, and I th- I saw thought forty eight to forty nine, and then you gave me a number that made me shit my pants. What was the number again? Western Carolina plus sixty seven. <laughs> Right? So the pros are all over this. Did that get bet down? Anytime you see plus 67, you can only take the plus What is that right now? Again, we're talking on Tuesday. What is, it had to have come down to the low six. It is now right? Western Carolina plus 59, which is still crazy high, right? Like, it's moved eight points. And I talk all the time about if you see something move that much, you should bet the other way. It's a counterplay. There's still value on plus 59 because... Yeah, you know, as as you pointed out when we were talking off the air, that's like a point a minute. First of all, you don't know what Alabama's offense is going to look like without Tua. Obviously, they're still going to score points against a sub five hundred SoCon team, but fifty nine. Well, like, all Western if, Carolina needs to do is you would think that they're going to score at some point. And as I said earlier, basically, like if they put together like a five or a six minute drive in which they convert like three or four third downs and kind of milk the clock that I wouldn't bet on that happening, but like, that's the bet right there. If they can juice five or six minutes off of this clock in which Alabama does not, even if Western Carolina doesn't even get into the freaking end zone, if they can juice five or six minutes off the clock, that feels kind of like the bet here. Yeah. So Western Carolina, uh, is going to beat Alabama. You heard it here first on the high motor podcast. So are you taking that bet? I might. Yeah. I might have to. All right. If I can get it at like 60 or higher, yeah, I think I will. Appreciate the time as always. And thanks again to Ryan Burns for dropping by this week. I'm working on locking down a really, really strong guest for next week's midweek episode. But before that, Chase and I will be back on Sunday morning putting a bow on week 13. and, And sadly, very sadly, looking ahead to the last regular season week of the season, looking ahead to... Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Auburn, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin. What else here? Cincinnati, Memphis, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. So that'll be available Sunday morning. Thanks for dropping by the High Motor Podcast. Country roads, take me home.